Man, God is good. Okay, see, hold on, because we have a generational gap. We have a problem. So when I say God is good, what do y'all say? Okay, so DSM, I don't think I've taught you this. I failed you in church culture 101. When I say God is good, you say all the time. And then when I say all the time, what do you say? Okay, you got it? Let's try it. God is good. And all the time. Amen. There you go. Y'all just learned something. First of many things today. Man, I'm, I'm so proud of you guys. Seriously. I'm so proud of you, Kendall. I'm so proud of you, Miracle. I'm so proud of all the choir. Benjamin. Are, are you 12? Are you 12 yet? You just you turned 12? So he just turned 12. <laughs> he was up here killing it, man. I'm just proud of you guys. I'm proud of y'all. Thank you, Jesus, man. All right, let's, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to be in this word, be in this message right now. Jesus, I thank you that your words will be spoken today. I ask that in this moment there will be less of me and more of you, God. I ask that you would soften hearts right now. Open up minds right now for your words to be heard. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message today is You're Not Dead. Look at somebody say, You're Not Dead. The title of my message today is You're Not Dead. Do you know that it's a privilege to know Jesus? It is a privilege to know Jesus. It is a privilege to walk with the Holy Spirit. It is a privilege to have access to this word each and every day. It is a privilege to be able to sit at his feet and worship and look up at his face and have a relationship with him. It's a privilege. And when we take advantage of it, when we take advantage of it, there's things that happen. When we develop a relationship with him, there's benefits that occur. There's benefits that you get. When you're a VIP member of Jesus' family, there's benefits that you receive. The world will tell you opposite, right? The world will tell you, man, being a Christian, it's boring. Being a Christian is lame. Being a Christian, you got to follow all these rules. You got to adhere to these rules and live so tight-fisted and try not to do anything wrong. Go do what you want. Follow your heart. Live freely. Chase after your desires. Use your own moral compass to determine what's right. You can manifest things. But church, I warn you to never listen to that voice. Don't listen to the voice of this world. Don't listen to the voice of this world that would tell you that you are wasting time being in this room. That you're not smart for giving money towards this. For you're not smart for sacrificing time for this. A couple weeks ago, I preached on a Wednesday. I said, let's normalize missing things for church and not the other way around. 
Because if we listen to this voice of the world, if we listen to the culture of this world, the only thing that we're going to get good at is making ourselves feel good. And if the only thing that you are good at is making yourself feel good, you will be a slave and in bondage to your own desires till the day you die. You have to find indulgence in sitting at his feet. You have to find indulgence in sitting in these moments of worship, looking at that cross and saying, Jesus, thank you. Make me closer to you. I want to know your heart. I want a personal relationship with you. I want to know what you like. I want to know what you dislike. I want to be able to feel it immediately if it's not in alignment with what you say. And the only way we can do that is through this word. The only way we can do that is by having a personal relationship with him. It is a privilege to know Jesus. I love in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We don't grieve like the rest of this world. We don't grieve like the rest of this world. We don't grieve when something looks dead. We don't grieve when something goes wrong. We don't grieve in brokenness because we don't look like the rest of this world. We know who we belong to. We know who has us in his hand. We know whose hope we can hold on to because we have hope, because we know what he's done, because we know what he's paid for. We don't have to grieve like the rest of this world who have no hope. So today I want to talk to us about Lazarus. Many of you know Martha and Mary, right? Before Jesus was at their house, Mary sat at his feet, looked up at his face. They were close to Jesus. Those were his friends. They were close to him. They knew him. They had a personal relationship with him. This is found in John 11. But after a while, as Jesus continued to go forward, as he moved on, doing miracles, preaching the gospel, teaching people, showing people how to live, how to follow in his example, the sisters Martha and Mary who Jesus loved, who knew Jesus personally, they sent word to him and said, Jesus, in John eleven three, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. And I love the way that this is worded, and this is a word for those who are praying for somebody right now. This is a word for those who are praying for somebody who is not in this room right now for that wayward family member, for that broken relationship, for that crushed situation, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop interceding. Don't stop putting them on the altar and saying, Jesus, pull them in, pull them back, pull them into your love, pull them into their knowledge of you. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because your word is going to the Father. When you have a personal relationship with him, when you know him, you can send word to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, the one you love is sick. This family member who has fallen apart, whose life is in shambles, they are sick. I need you to go to them. I know what you can do. And Jesus heard their cry. Jesus heard the message. He was in the process of dying. But just like when you were in the process of dying, there was somebody praying for you, too. There was somebody praying for you. Amen? 
There was somebody praying for you that got you in this room today. And when the Lord has his hand upon you, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it seems like, he's on the way. And this is what was happening. They told Jesus, hey, look, the one you love is dying. And Jesus didn't hop up and start sprinting towards Lazarus. He actually said, okay, cool. I got four other things to do for the next few days and maybe a week, and then I'll get to it. And the disciples were like, what? Jesus, what, what, why aren't we rushing to go save your friend? Why aren't we go rushing to heal Lazarus? You know what, we know what you can do. Why aren't we going over there? Why would we go back over here? These people hate you. And Jesus told them, he said, listen, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. He said he has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He said, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going there to wake him up. And they were like, surely this man can heal him if he would just go right now and heal him from his sickness. So the disciples begin to pester him and pester him. Jesus, why don't we go? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And finally, Jesus said, you know what? Let me put it in terms that you understand. He's dead. Lazarus is dead. And we're going to go and wake him up. And it's good that I wasn't there when he was sick because your faith is going to get built by what you see God do. Your faith is going to be built by what you see the Lord do. Because Jesus knew Jesus wasn't going to heal Lazarus for himself. He knew that Jesus, God could raise people from the dead, right? He knew what he could do. He's the word made flesh. He was doing it so their faith could be built. He said, I'm going to step into this situation. I'm not going to do this while he's sick like I've healed a million other people that are sick. I'm going to show you what God can do when the world says something is dead. I'm going to show you what God can do when everybody around you is saying they're done. I'm going to show you what God can do when he speaks. When my word comes out of my mouth, I'm going to show you what happens. Because, you know, Jesus had the perspective of heaven. Jesus had the perspective of heaven. You know that each and every day we have to speak life. We say anywhere from 7,000 to 16,000 words a day. Look at somebody who says 16,000 words. It talks too much. <laughs> don't look too long. And everybody don't look at one person. <laughs> Some of y'all talk a little bit too much, right? But when we speak those words, when we say those words, when we are always talking, always letting things come out of our spirit, we have to be careful that we are speaking life. Because every single word you say, there is an establishment of the kingdom happening. Whether that's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of hell is up to you. If you're going to continue to say, oh, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't, I'm not good enough, I'm not able to, I'm sick, I'm depressed, right? We talked about saying what we are is so powerful. I'm insecure. My cancer. My broken relationship. We have to stop speaking death over ourselves. We have to use our words to speak life. So I am the healed of the Lord. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath, right? Every single day we have to wake up and speak paths of life into our day because once we're doing is we're putting a brick of the kingdom of heaven down and those paths will lead us unto him. 
And those paths will lead us unto the words that he said. Because you see, Jesus had the perspective of heaven. When the world said, hey, Lazarus is dead, Jesus wasn't even acknowledging the culture of what this world was saying. Jesus wasn't even going to let it come out of his mouth that that man was dead. He said, no, he's sleeping and I'm going to go wake him up. That's how we have to live. We have to live with the perspective of heaven because you understand that the enemy wants you to call things dead. The enemy wants you to call things dead. He wants you to look at your life. He wants you to look at that broken relationship. He wants you to look at that failure. He wants you to look at that mistake and say, it is done. It's dead. You're finished. It can't be redeemed. He wants you to look at it and say, it's dead. And it's hard not to do it. I get it. It's hard. People can be so frustrating at times. How could you be so... Why would you do that? How could you be so disrespectful? How could you break this? How could you throw a grenade into my life and then walk away? And what do we say? Oh, they're dead to me. They crossed the line. They're dead to me. Those people are dead to me. Then people at that church, they, you know, they're dead to me. I'm hurt. The enemy wants us to call things dead. I love this verse in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and this is the voice translation. But it says, faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for in the absolute conviction that there are realities that you have never seen. You have to have absolute conviction. You have to have absolute conviction that there are realities that you've never seen. That, so when the enemy throws something that looks so broken, that looks so terrible, that hurts so bad, you don't grieve like the rest of this world. You don't grieve like everybody else. You don't start grieving things that are just sleeping. Why? Because you understand that there are realities in heaven that you have never seen. So when those things come against you, when life comes against you, when this world tells you to, hey, call that thing dead, start getting sad about this, that you, this opportunity that you think you lost, start getting upset, start getting offended, start mourning, start grieving, start acting like it's a funeral, you have to say, no, I am completely convinced. I have a deep conviction and I am rooted in the fact that there are realities that I have not seen and that in heaven it is bound and that on earth it will be bound and I don't have to fight, I don't have to sit here and cry. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to start acting like something is dead in front of me because I am living under the jurisdiction of heaven that says it is alive. It is sleeping. It is not dead. It can be redeemed. It can be fixed. I can be healed. I am not standing in this place of saying, oh no, you know what? I can't do it. Stop getting ready for a funeral. Stop. You can't wake up in the morning and put on all black and start crying. Stop living in preparation for a funeral. Live with the perspective of heaven that says he is not dead, he's sleeping. And even though I'm not going to run to it right now, guess what? God's going to get to it. He's going to wake him up. I don't have to sit here and be sad. I know God's coming. I know Jesus is running for me. Why? Because I have a personal relationship with him. I'm the one he loves. So it might not get fixed instantly. But guess what? I have the reality of heaven. I have deep convictions, absolute convictions, that the way I see it does not mean it's correct. 
the way I see it does not mean it's right. It might look dead, but that doesn't mean it's done. Jesus is on the way. Look at somebody say, Jesus is on the way. Stop grieving things that are sleeping. Jesus arrives, and Martha greets him. Martha's sad. She says, Lord, if you would have just been here, if you would have been here, you would have been able to heal him from sickness. See, everybody's faith needed to be built in this scenario. In this passage, we see Jesus. He's, he's showing us all the people that knew him but needed their faith to be built. You may know him today. Maybe you need your faith to be built a little bit. Because he had his disciples around him that are like, oh, yeah, Jesus can heal like sick level pro- problems. Martha and Mary, who were his besties, think that, oh, he can heal like sick level problems. But Jesus said, guess what? I'm here to do it all. And I love how he says in this verse, I want to read it. He said, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered and she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, she knew about Jesus. She knew what he was talking about. She knew his words. She, you know, she loved him. She said, yeah, he'll rise again in the last day. I know that. I understand that what you're saying, Jesus. I believe it. I'm still sad right now, though. He's dead. And Jesus said this to her in verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it, church? Jesus looked at her and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the word made flesh. I am. I am the one. I'm not out here just doing sick healings. I am the resurrection and the life. If I say it's time to go right now, we're going. If I say it's time to wake up right now, it's time to wake up. We don't have to wait until the end. We don't have to wait until something. No, it's me. He's saying it's me. And I'm about to build all of your faith right now. He said, because I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is speaking that to you right now. Say, oh, well. I did the best I could. Now I just got to wait till the end. Till God calls me up to glory. I'm never going to recover from that mistake I made. That relationship's never going to be fixed. That cancer is just mine. Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, do you believe this? And she said, yes, I do. Finally, they go to Lazarus' tomb. Then they look at the tomb and Mary arrives. And when Jesus sees Mary crying, when he sees her just in despair, the people that are with her, it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. It says in verse 1135, it said, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And it sounds like insignificant. We say it's the shortest verse. It sounds like that may be just a quick little thing, but I honestly and truly believe this is one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. It said Jesus wept. Why? Because it shows us that the creator of this universe, the one that holds heaven and earth in his hands, It shows us that when you have a relationship with him, when you know him, 
when you have an established history with him, he weeps when he sees you dying. He weeps when he sees you weep. When you are broken, when you are sad, when you are going through it, he weeps. Because Jesus knew what he was getting ready to do. He knew that he was getting ready to glorify God through this, but he still was sad. And that shows us, too, it's a word for somebody in here that even though it's hard, even though it's hard to bring glory unto God in every single situation, it's okay to weep, too. It's okay to weep and say, I'm still going to do what I need to do. Because that was Jesus going through this. Jesus knew he could have ran to him and healed him from being sick. He didn't even need to go. He could have said he is healed and he would have been healed. But he knew that he had to show these people and to build their faith. And in that moment, even though it hurt, even though he was crying, even though he felt it, he knew that it would bring glory unto God. And so he did what he needed to do. And he cares about each and every one of you. The creator of this universe cares about you. He weeps when he sees you. When he sees you struggling, when he sees you in pain, we talked about the Beatitudes last week. Blessed are those who mourn and are comforted by him. When you're mourning and you say, God, I need you to wrap your arms around me. When you're going through it, you don't just say it's dead, I'm going to keep going. You say, God, let me lean into you. Let me learn more about your heart. Reveal to me more and more how you care about even the smallest detail of that thing that brought me pain. He cares and he weeps. And he wants you to come back to life. He wants you to wake up. You know, I told a few of you that were here, maybe not a few, a lot of you that were here, a few Sundays ago that I'm a very big nerd when it comes to, like, reptiles and amphibians and, like, the whole hobby of lizards, essentially. I'm a weirdo with that stuff. I watch it on YouTube. I learn a bunch of facts that I probably will never need, but... I know a lot, and <laughs> I was recently watching this video, and it, it was so profound to me because it was while I was writing this message, and I took a break to watch a video, and it was on the wood frogs that are across North America, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me so crazy, and I know that sounds wild through a weird frog video, but the Holy Spirit just spoke so clearly because in the video, it was explaining the biology of these frogs. And how every winter, these frogs freeze and die. It says that, it, and, they, and they teach that every single winter, these frogs on a cellular level begin to freeze. Their heart stops beating. Their heart stops. And they get down to negative three degrees frozen for months, frozen solid. These frogs can be frozen solid for three months, four months, five months at a time. And it says that when spring comes around, this happens every single year, when spring comes around and that weather begins to warm, when the breath of God breathes over them, they defrost. And within 30 minutes, their heart starts to beat again. They start to hop around again looking for food. And it spoke to me so clearly, it was so profound said that nature even emulates this. Nature has no choice but to emulate what our Savior does. The creator of the universe put it in each and every detail. They could be dead for months, frozen, negative three degrees, no heartbeat. They look like a little rock, dead. What the world calls dead when the breath of the Holy Spirit, whew, 
wakes up. The heart begins to beat. There's life. And I said, Jesus, how much more? If you do it with these frogs that nobody's thinking about each and every year, how much more will you run to the ones you love? Will you run to the ones you love and say, it's time to wake up? It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. So Jesus is here, and this is the fourth day after Lazarus has died. And at the time, in the Jewish, Jewish tradition, if they had been dead for three days, they would wait to put them into the tomb. So they would wait three days to put them into the tomb. Something miraculous could happen in those three days. They could wake back up. Anything could go. But after three days, they put them into the tomb, which is very significant, obviously, as we know. But on the fourth day is when Jesus arrived. And again, he was building the faith of every single person that was involved in this. He said, listen, I understand that you were going by this law that said after three days they were dead. But I'm going to step in and break that rule, too. And he's saying it again. Even though the world is saying you're dead, even though by the standards of this world you are frozen, even by the standards of this world the situation is done, they are dead, it's over, I can step in whenever I feel like it. I'm the resurrection and the life. I will step in and I will say wake up whenever it's time. Whenever it's time, I will step in and say it's time to wake up. I don't go by the standard of this world. I don't go by the rules of what this world has told you. I step in. I'm the resurrection and the life. I step in and say it's time to wake up. And when I speak is when it's time. He waited till the fourth day on purpose. And he said, roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. All pointing to him. All pointing to what he was going to do. We see it when Joshua was leading the Israelites. The reproach of Egypt has been rolled away. We see it with Daniel in the lion's den. Roll the stone away. Now we see it with Lazarus. Roll the stone away. And Jesus is speaking in your life. Roll the stone away. Right now in this service, I want you to roll the stone away. Whatever it is that you've been holding on to, whatever it is that's been causing you to stay in that dead place, maybe it's a perspective that you had, maybe it's something you're going through, whatever it is that has caused you to stay frozen, to treat things as though they were dead, to treat life as though something was finished, I want you right now in this moment to roll the stone away because we are going to call some things to life, amen? We're going to call some things to life today, but right now before we proceed, I need you to roll that stone out of the way. It's time for you to roll the stone out of the way. The thing that is blocking you from him, the thing that is blocking you from that perspective of heaven, in Jesus' name, it is being rolled away right now. Roll the stone away right now. Because we're not going to move forward until it's out of the way. It's time to make some moves. But we got to get that out the way. We have to see with the perspective of heaven. We have to stop grieving sleeping things. Roll that stone out of the way. And I love, what, <laughs> I love what they said when he said this to her, because I'm a very, like, smell person. When things stink, I'm not into it. But they said, <laughs> they said, hey, Jesus, um, we would love to do that and all, but, you know, Lazarus is going to stink a little bit. He's been in there 
four days. <laughs> he's been in there for a while. It's a little hot. He's been dead for days. This is the fourth day. He's not going to smell very good, Jesus. You want? And he said, roll the stone away. Jesus doesn't care if you stink. Jesus doesn't care. Actually, he says he loves you when you acknowledge the fact that you stink. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Acknowledge the fact that you stink. Jesus, I'm terrible. I need you. I need a savior. I can't live without you. I can't do this thing without you. On my own, through my own strength. No, no, no. I'm terrible without you. Jesus said, I'm not worried about that. Roll it away. And then he speaks. Whew. He speaks. He says, Lazarus. I can imagine Lazarus laying there and when he hears his name, his eyes opening. He says, Lazarus, come forth. It's time to wake up. It's time for you to wake up. Wake up. Lazarus, come forth. It's time to wake up. And as Lazarus walks out, <laughs> as Lazarus walks out, the crowd around begins to weep and praise. Say, he's awake. And Jesus says, take off his grave clothes. He has his arms and legs bound up. He said, take off the grave clothes so that he can go forward. Throw off the grave clothes. And Jesus is telling you today, it's time to wake up. It is time to wake up. Stop grieving things that are sleeping. That opportunity that you thought was dead. That love that you thought you'd never feel again. That broken place that you just haven't been able to shake. That sickness that you've been claiming as your own. He's saying it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And it's time to walk out of your tomb that you've been frozen in. It's time for you to step forward and throw off the grave clothes. It's time for you to move forward from this moment. It's time for you to walk forward from this moment in a new way. Not holding on to what you were in the tomb wearing. When you step out, you got to throw the grave clothes off too. You can't step out of the tomb and then keep walking around like a mummy. He's saying, throw the grave clothes off. You're new. You're awake. You're alive. Don't wear the things that identify you with death. Stop wearing the things that bind you to death. Take the grave clothes off. Stop calling things that are sleeping dead. Start speaking life. Start seeing with the perspective of heaven. Think the best about people. Start thinking the best about people. Stop taking offense. Walk forward without the grave clothes. Move forward with a new mindset. See with the perspective of heaven. Have an absolute conviction that there are realities that you don't see. If you can't wrap your mind around it, say, that's okay, Jesus. I'm completely convinced, and I trust you 100% that there is a reality and there is a plan in heaven, even if I don't see it right now, even if you haven't been here when you was, I was just sick and I feel like I'm completely dead, I know you are on the way, and when you arrive, all you have to do is speak my name, and I will be able to be alive again. You are the resurrection and the life. 
And I trust in you and I believe in that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are made new. Take off the grave clothes. You don't live in that tomb anymore. The stone has been rolled away. He's called you by name. It's time to wake up. It's time to get up. It's time for you to follow me. It's time for you to follow me fully, picking up your cross daily, living a sanctified life, set apart, ready and reserved for special uses that anything that is found pleasing to the master. I'm ready, God. The grave clothes are off. Use me. I'm laying down what I want. I'm picking up what you want. So today, as I close, we're going to get ready to tell some things to wake up. We're going to look at our lives and we're going to say it's time to wake up. Because this valley is not going to turn into an oasis filled with the Holy Spirit if we're not awake. People in this region, people in our families, people that are going through hell are not going to receive heaven from you. If you are sleeping in a tomb, if you are treating things in your life that are sleeping as dead, there are people around you that are not going to receive heaven. So what I want to do first is I need all of my students, all my youth and young adults to come across the front of here. All my youth, all my young adults, all my young adult leaders, y'all can come up here too. And I need you to come across the front. And you can face this way, you can face towards me. Spread out this way, spread out this way, spread out this way. Amen. What I need next is I need everybody to stand to their feet. I just want everybody in this room, I know it might be kind of tight, but I want you to come forward behind our students. I need everybody to come forward. You see, every single Thursday, every Thursday, these students, these young adults, they get poured into, they get prayed for. They know the voice of the Lord. They're awake. They've spent any amount of time in DSM, they're awake and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, as we get ready to go into this next moment, these students, these young adults, they're going to pray for you. They're going to pray for you. And as you pray for them, I want you to speak life into them. Speak life over the things that this world has called dead. Speak life into the things that this world has told them is finished. I want you to speak life into each person in this room and say, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's time to wake up. And I just want everybody in this room, as you get prayed for, as you receive that, as you feel that happening, I just want you to lift your hands. 
I want to finish with this verse, 2 Timothy 2, 20, 21. It says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter. Those who stop treating sleeping things as though they're dead. Those who live a sanctified life. Those who pick up their cross daily and say, Jesus, I give you my desires. Exchange them for yours. Those who give themselves fully unto the Lord and have a personal relationship with him will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So Jesus, in this moment, I pray over these students that are getting ready to lay hands on this congregation. I pray that you are calling them in this moment to be instruments of gold and silver, made for special purposes, made holy, useful unto the master, and prepared to do any good work. I pray the confidence in heaven, of heaven is being instilled in each and every one of them right now, Father. Give them the words to say. Give them the words to speak life into these people, Lord. And I pray that you are waking up the spirits in this room right now, the people that have been sleeping, the people that have been caught, the people that have been treating sleeping things as dead, God. You are waking them up right now. You are speaking their name into their ear and waking them up up right now students as you begin to pray you begin to pray right now ask for the person's name and say whatever your name is it's time to wake up Caleb it's time to wake up it is time to wake up Olivia speak into their life and say Jesus is the resurrection and the life so I need all my students and young adults to turn around and begin to pray Jesus I thank you for this moment go ahead yeah go pray yep I thank you for this moment Lord I thank you that we are not dead, Father. That we are found in you, Jesus. That when we are found in you, we are not dead. Even when we've drifted, Jesus, you are saying, wake up. Even when we let a spirit of pride in, even when we let a spirit that is not of you and you are saying, wake up right now in Jesus' name. Even when we've made a mistake, even when we have gone down the wrong path, even when we haven't chose you, the Holy Spirit is saying, you are not perfect, but you are not your mistakes. Wake up. The Holy Spirit is saying, it is time to wake up. It is time to step out of that grave, roll the stone away, shake the grave clothes off, go forth, be a light, bring heaven unto this earth. Wake up. Darling. 
Thank you, everybody, for coming. If you're still receiving prayer, don't feel rushed. If you're still willing prayer, don't feel rushed. But I just want to say thank you for being with us this Sunday. Live right, love everybody, and pray hard. We'll see you next time.